Hugs and squeeze. You remember who that is? Yeah. Hey, right. To say, well, I thought we finished up Habakkuk. Well, not quite. And uh, we're going to do a little bit of wrap up here. And uh, uh, there's going to be some interesting things here. As uh, Pastor Elisha and I have, uh, over the past months, really, been studying and talking and discussing uh, Habakkuk, uh, we would sit back and say, you know, we could keep going on this for quite a while. How many Sundays did we spend on this little three-chapter book in the back of the Old Testament, stuck in between those other so-called minor prophets? One of the things that I hope you are beginning to see is that there's much more to the scripture than we sometimes recognize in our casual reading. Now, I'm all for the one verse devotional and, you know, the, the three paragraphs and here's your verse and that's okay, it has its place. But I want you to encourage you to take a passage of scripture and treat it as a gold mine or a diamond mine. There is so much truth packed into the scripture that you can spend a lot of time in just one passage. In fact, sometimes it's good just to take a chapter or a, a paragraph, a, a, a unit of scripture and just say, this is going to be my scripture for the week or maybe for the month and go over it day after day and allow the Holy Spirit to bring new truths to you. You say, well, that just gets repetitive and old. <laughs> well, I can if you treat it that way. But there's something about the scriptures that has a depth that we should not ever overlook. There's something else I want you to know. As Elisha and I have shared over the past couple of years, we have come to a realization that we are bound together in mind and spirit in a very special way. I don't recall ever having ministered with someone with whom I resonate so much in my heart and my spirit. And uh, when we would put messages together, it was as if we were speaking with one voice. And you will never hear anything from either of us that would be totally independent. <clears throat> you will not hear from me something different from what you would hear Pastor Elisha preaching in tone and in, in substance. We are that close in, in heart and mind. And it has been a real privilege to uh, minister with him over these, these months. It's just been one of those special things that God has brought into my life. And I know his heart. And when he says he spends his time in prayer at the foot of this cross, it's true. 
We will often gather together, especially on a Saturday night, and he's here at the cross. Or we'll walk in the room. We're praying together for God's blessing, for God's church, interceding as best we know how. Humbling ourselves before him, because that's the only way that anyone can ever minister in his great kingdom. He is a man of prayer. And uh, I respect him greatly. How many of you have a prayer list? You may recall a long time ago I preached on prayer and prayer list. And if you do, I hope you have your pastor family at the top of that list. It's so important. Well, let's get on into Habakkuk. <clears throat> If you're using your Bibles provided for you, it's on page 929. Just a little bit past the middle of my Bible. I would like to read for you chapter 3. There are some scholars that think perhaps chapter 3 was written later because it's a little different in tone. And it really is a hymn. It's a, it's a praise song. In fact, the closing line says, this is for the stringed instruments, the guitars and the banjos, I guess, and the violins. Uh, stringed instruments are pretty old. <clears throat> but I like Pastor Elisha's custom of having this stand as we read the scripture to receive the word of the Lord, if you would stand with me. This is simply labeled Habakkuk's Prayer, chapter 3. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet on Sigunah. Lord, I have heard of your faith. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Teman, the Holy One from the Mount Paran. His glory covered the heaven and his praise filled the earth. His splendor was like the sunrise. Rays flashed from his hand where his power was hidden. Plague went before him. Pestilence followed his steps. He stood and shook the earth. He looked and made the mountains tremble. The ancient mountains crumbled and the age-old hills collapsed. But he marches on forever. I saw the tents of Cushion in distress. The dwellings of Midian in anguish. Were you angry with the rivers, Lord? Was your wrath against the streams? Did you rage against the sea when you rode your horses and your chariots to victory? You uncovered your bow. You called for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. Torrents swept by. The deep roared and lifted its waves on high. Sun and moon stood still in the heavens at the glint of your flying arrows, at the lightning of your flashing spear. In wrath you strove through the earth, and in anger you threshed the nations. You came out to deliver your people, to save your anointed one. You crushed the leader of the land of wickedness. You stripped him from head to foot. With his own spear you pierced his head when his warriors stormed out to scatter us 
gloating as though about to, do, to devour the wretched who were in hiding. You trampled the sea with your horses, churning the great waters. I heard, and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones, and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nations invading us. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen, and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The Sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Whoa. Some pretty exalted language there. And you know, we, we like to get uh, scriptures printed on slogans and hang them on the walls and everything. And sometimes you'll see some of these verses from the back end. Like, um, his splendor was like the sunrise, rays flashed from his hand, where his power was hidden. Isn't that a good one to have on your wall? But no one puts the next verse on the wall. Plague went before him, pestilence followed his steps. But it's all part of the great picture of who God is. And let's take just a little panoramic view of Habakkuk. I want you to see the, the arc of the prophecy, the flow of the revelation. If I were to give these message a title, it might be this. From worry to worship. How does Habakkuk start out? starts with a complaint. He says, How long, O Lord, must I suffer? How, how long should I cry out until you respond? And God's response is, For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks to the end and will not prove false, though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come, and will not delay. When Habakkuk gives that complaint, how long shall I call for help and you do not listen? What do you think the attitude of his heart is? I don't know. Is he angry? Is he shaking his fist at God? How long do I have to wait? until you respond to my cries for help. Or maybe he's groveling in the sand. Oh God, how long must I cry for help and you don't listen to me? Actually, I don't think it was either one of those. That might be me. I think there are times when I'm angry 
with God. And I want to shake my fist and say, come on, God. How can you let all of this happen? And I think there's a sense in which we can rise up in a holy anger when we see the evil in the world. When you see the destruction that the evil one, the enemy of our souls, wreaks upon our families, on our churches, on our nation, on our world. There ought to be something that angers us. For he is an enemy worthy of our anger. But our anger cannot ever be directed at God. And there are times when I am desperate and I'm crying and just pleading with God. I am hurting so bad. How can I endure this anymore? And maybe some of those things played into what Habakkuk was feeling. But I think there was a real sense of faith and expectancy even in the beginning of his complaint. Because he finishes that first complaint with these words, I will watch, I will stand watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see when he will say, what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. He was expecting an answer from God. And too often we just complain, but we really don't expect a response from God. We just want to complain. After all, we have a lot of good things to complain about. And it's okay to be honest with God. It's okay to say, I don't understand. It's okay to say I'm angry and I'm hurt and, and I'm disappointed and my heart is broken. We can pour all of that out to God <laughs> because he already knows that and he understands our heart and he understood what Habakkuk was going through and he takes all of that and gives a response, says, look, it's coming. The answer is coming. Don't give up hope. The Lord is in his temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. Remember that message. And when you can't see the glory of the Lord in your life, when you can't see the glory of the Lord in the world, these are good words to come back to. The Lord is in his holy temple. And finally, at the very end of this whole prophecy, we have these words, again, often put on plaques. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on high places. But there's a lot that went in between. Lord, how long must I cry out for help and you don't hear me? To you are the strength and you make me with feet like a deer to tread on high places. How do you get from that worry, from that complaint to that place of trust and faith? 
So let's take a little bit closer look at this last chapter. It starts with another oft-quoted phrase. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day, in our time make them known, and wrath remember mercy. I think it's important to learn from history, the history of God's acts. Aho, look what I found. A history of God's acts. Isn't this wonderful? It goes back thousands and thousands and thousands of years with one consistent testimony, one repeated record. God is faithful to the end. God is sovereign from the beginning to the end and everywhere in between. There's a lot of heartache and trouble in the story, just as there is in our stories. When I was a younger man, I enjoyed hearing the testimonies of the, we call them the old saints of the church. Uh, when I was in high school, there was Brother Ferris, Lloyd Ferris. When the pastor really needed a prayer, he'd say, Brother Ferris, everybody's brother and sister back in those days, Brother Ferris, would you pray for us? And he would start out in a very slow prayer. And you could sense the momentum building, and his voice became louder. And he would pray, uh, and he would uh, give praise, uh, and glory, uh, and until the whole building was filled with this very stylistic kind of prayer that he prayed, but we all knew it was from his heart. And I love to hear Brother Ferris pray with this shiny white hair. And then there was a hero of mine. He was about this tall. He had white hair too. I think he was born with white hair. I knew him since I was a little kid, and he always had white hair. But Prescott Beals had been a missionary for 47 years in India, a great inspiration to my life. But he was one of those people when he would get up to give a testimony or when he was preaching or when he was praising the Lord or, oh, I still remember the days, folks. He would get out his hanky and he would start around the sanctuary all the way around and come back. It may be two or three times. It wasn't noisy, it was just his demonstration. And he was one of those models I wanted to be like. When I was in college, at college church, here was Brother Penn, missionary from Africa. He'd get him up and give a shiny testimony. And I loved to hear the stories that my grandfather would tell the early days of the church. They were all doing one thing, celebrating the great deeds of God. And we can read of the great revivals in our modern times. They are inspiring. 
our theological and ecclesiastical roots, our church roots, go back to the revival of John and Charles Wesley and George Whitfield in England. I love to hear of their preaching and the responses of the people as they would go out into the countryside. They would preach to the coal miners and they would become converted. They'd go into a village and preach. They'd preach out in the fields. Charles would begin pinning hymns and they'd sing and they literally transformed the society, the culture, turned the history of a great nation through the powers of their prayer and their preaching and the revival that God sent through them. In our own country, the Great Awakening, the Second Great Awakening, and some of our modern pockets of revival around the country, I love to hear of them. The Pyongyang Revival in what is now North Korea. Oh man, it stirs you to the bottom of your bones. There's a revival happening now in the Horn of Africa, in the villages of China. I love to hear of all of those things. I have heard of your great deeds, O oh Father. And I love to hear the great deeds that happen in the lives of individuals. When I see someone's life totally transformed by the grace of God, there just wells up within me saying, this is what it's all about. When I see someone going through a dark, hard time of illness, of loss, of injustice, and yet their faith is strengthened and they grow, I say, what a marvelous thing God has done. You see, it's not enough to have hearsay faith. What Habakkuk is saying, I want to see it here and now again in my day. Is there not something in your heart that resonates with that prayer? The good old days were good old days. I want the good days now. God has not changed. His plans have not changed. The prayer that he taught us to pray is still vital. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that's what we long for. You see, when Elisha and I begin talking about revival, this is what we're talking about. A renewal of the great deeds of God. We need to be praying for revival. For a rejuvenation of our personal faith in the life of the church. And a revival that reaches out to the community so that people hear the gospel and respond and are transformed. So, yeah, <laughs> get used to it, we're preaching revival. I, I told Elisha one day, I said, uh, you know, we were part of Los Angeles' first church for several years, sometimes called the Mother Church. It was the very first church of the Nazarene organized in uh, 1898. And uh, down in the archive rooms, there was the desk that Phineas Brzee, the first pastor, the founder, uh, used, the archives, the minutes of the organizational meeting. But one of the things that was down there, and we brought it out from time to time, was a great big old sign. 
He used to sit out in front or hang from the building, one of the early buildings that the church met in. It was just a rough wooden building. Finally gave the nickname of the Glory Barn. The sign said, the greatest revival church in Los Angeles on one side, and war declared on hell on the other side. That's our legacy. And that's where we come from. That's where we're going. We ought to be praying for the manifest presence of God in our services. To pray for miracles and signs and wonders. I read about those things. The things that Jesus did. And I read where he says, and you're going to do even greater things. And I go, I want to see those in my day. And there's no reason that we can't. There's no reason that we will not if we seek after them, if we pray for them. Then Habakkuk works his way down until he gives this great statement of faith. I want us to dwell a little bit on this. Listen. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the salt, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. Well, I don't have any grapes or olives or sheep. <laughs> Those were symbols of prosperity. So I might say, even though there's no car in the garage, there's not much food on the table, and I haven't got the best job in the world, or maybe no job at all, still, I will trust in God. I think it's unfortunate that we live in an age where God's material blessings are equated with our spirituality. I'm not here to tear down any ministry in particular, but to come against this concept that God intends for us all the time to enjoy health, wealth, and prosperity. Because when it's gone, what's left of our faith? And what do we say to the millions of Christians around the world who have none of this? Who have none of that? If you remember in the book of Job, this was exactly his struggle of faith. He lost everything. He lost his wealth, his house, his family, and finally his own health. And his uh, friends and his wife said, don't you see? God can't be trusted. 
Curse him and die. But Job, like Habakkuk, has what I call the not yet faith. The and yet faith. It's a faith that looks at all of the troubles of life head on and says, this is true. My heart aches. I've lost this. This has happened. And yet, I trust God. How can you say that? Doesn't that prove that God is not faithful? Because our crops have failed, our car has died, whatever the loss is. I don't minimize any of those things. It means that we know who God is. We know his character to be good. We know that he is sovereign. And that he is worthy of our praise, not because of what we have, not even because of what he does, but because of who he is. And if you know who God is, and if you are in fellowship with him, then you can trust him implicitly, even when the bad things happen. I'll just take a wild guess here. That every one of you, like me, have been there. You've been in those dark places. And the temptation is always there. Can I trust God? Is he going to see me through? Can I really believe that he is good? He's a good, good father. And can we sing that with our hearts full of faith? Habakkuk said, even though I have poured my heart out to God and I don't see the answer yet and I am in a difficult situation, yet I am going to trust him. And then that concluding verse that we love so much. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread in the high places. And that gets your juices going. I want to ride in the high places with God. But before you can get there, you have to go through the and yet faith. It is as we trust God in the difficult times that we reach our place of true joy. The sovereign Lord is my strength. How many of you know that God is sovereign? Mm-hmm. I'm going to tread on a little dangerous ground here because uh, I hear this phrase a lot. Well, doesn't matter what happened. 
God's in control. If God were in control of everything, nothing bad would ever happen. If God were in control, I would have no choice in what to do because he would control everything I do and say. He would control all of my choices. Hang with me. Because the minute you hear, oh, is God in control? Was he in control when those airplanes flew into the towers and the Pentagon? Was he in control? Hmm. There was some evil going on. But God is sovereign. He is in the place of ultimate authority and power. There is no power greater than his. There is no authority greater than his. And Jesus says, all authority and power in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And that's the Lord that we serve. Even when things seem out of control, he is sovereign, and we draw our strength from him. Sovereign means he is the king. He has the ultimate authority. And we live in that in-between time. As Pastor Elisha said, the yet and not yet. We live in that in-between time when Jesus has come in human flesh, when he was crucified and defeated the enemy, and the time when he is yet to come and return. And in this in-between time, he says, we have the Prince of the Air. Why would Jesus teach us to pray this prayer? Lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from the evil one. Because the evil one is here and very active. But this is the faith that looks at all those hard places and says, the sovereign Lord is my strength. Something beyond myself. And when we get to that place of saying, and yet I will trust in him, then we are enabled to walk on the high places, walk above the valleys that we're in. There will be some hard places for us this next year. Always are. Did any of you have hard places this last year? Mm. Yeah, we have. Is God, the sovereign God, the source of our strength? Can you say, and yet I trust Him? Can you say with Habakkuk, I will rejoice in the Lord, I will be joyful in God, my Savior? If you have anything that you are facing now, 
Just pray that prayer. God, I want to say, how long am I going to be like this? I don't know. But I'm on the ramparts. I'm watching for your answer. And I hear your voice saying, don't worry. Don't give up yet. In the fullness of time, my answer will come. You will see my splendor. You'll see my glory. You'll see the earth tremble. All those metaphors. And you can trust me. Don't focus on what you don't have. Focus on who I am. He is the great I am. And uh, so that's how I'm approaching these days to come. They are full of uncertainty for me right now. And there's some things I just, I don't have the answers to. I don't know what's going to happen, how this is going to turn out, or how that's going to turn out. But I have learned enough to say, God, you are still my sovereign. You are still my source of strength. And even though things aren't like I would like them to be, yet I will trust you. Let's pray. Father, we are so confused sometimes. And we just bring that confusion to you. What we don't understand, what perplexes us, what tugs at our heart, maybe tears at our heart. Yet, we trust in you. We trust that these days ahead, with all their troubles, will be good ones because we are drawing our strength from you. We look forward to walking in the high places. As we cry out with Habakkuk, I've heard of your fame, but I want to see those things in our day, in the here and now. Would you make it so? Amen.